This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Welcome to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Hi, I'm Jamie Busson. I'm a former commercial litigator who used to weigh 242 pounds. When I was 38 years old, I lost over 50 pounds through a regimen of exercise and better nutrition. It took me a year to reach my goal, but I thought if a type A personality like me could do it, really anybody can. I'm still asking questions and learning about what it means to live a healthy lifestyle. Please join me on this continuing journey. Today, we'll learn how peanuts can support better metabolic health with Samara Sterling. We'll find out about nutritional psychiatry with David Nelson. We'll discuss summertime self-care with Andriana Gonko. And lastly, we'll discover how to communicate feelings with Carrie Mazay. Before that, here's your tonic quick shot of healthy headlines. According to a new study published in Nature Medicine, there's a wider set of symptoms of long COVID than previously believed, which includes hair loss and sexual dysfunction. Yikes. On the upside... Researchers at the Mayo Clinic have discovered key human genomic signatures that could help explain why COVID-19 is severe in some people and mild in others. After analyzing volumes of diverse worldwide DNA sequence data, the scientists identified mutations in two human proteins that might sway the course of COVID-19 virus. Researchers have identified a gene that promotes muscle strength when switched on by physical activity, unlocking the potential for the development of therapeutic treatments to mimic some of the benefits of working out. That was your tonic quick shot. I'll be joined by Samara Sterling in a moment. But first, a little bit of business. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show and podcast, I'm also the publisher of The Tonic Magazine. The Tonic is published six times a year and is delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. It's also available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA. And if you miss it, you can also read The Tonic online at thetonic.ca. Hey, if you like The Tonic Talk Show, I know you'll love The Tonic Magazine. Samara Sterling is a nutrition scientist with expertise in the use of plant-based nutrition for the prevention and treatment of chronic diseases. She currently serves as the research director for the Peanut Institute and has also worked as a nutrition consultant for various community-based nutrition projects. She holds a bachelor's degree from Stony Brook University, a master's degree from Andrews University, and a PhD from the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Welcome back to the show, Samara Sterling. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me again. It's always great to be here. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about a brand spanking new study and the results of this weight loss study involving peanuts. But I'd like to start by discussing obesity a bit. How prevalent is it and what impact does obesity have on overall health? Yeah, well, you know, obesity is something that I think we hear that word uh, floating around quite a bit, but we don't often stop and think about exactly what it is. Obesity really is considered a disease. And this is where a person's weight is higher than what it should be for their height. So in other words, there's excess body fat accumulation. And typically, we measure this or we screen for obesity by using the body mass index or BMI. Right. A BMI that's above 25 is considered overweight and a BMI above 30 is considered obese. Now, you ask how many of us are overweight or obese? When we count the number of us here in the United States who are either 
overweight or obese, and in the Western world as well, that number is about 73%. So almost three out of every four people is either overweight or obese. Now, what makes this concerning is the health risks that comes with that. So being overweight or obese, we know is associated with heart disease, stroke, diabetes, many cancers, even mental health disorders, and even early death. It's the reason why we are often now considering obesity as an epidemic, and even in some cases as a pandemic. So it's a really serious issue, a very important one that we do need to think about. Do you subscribe to the BMI index as being the key indicator for overweight or obesity? It's a good question. Because it's not universal. Right. It's not universal. It's not exactly the most accurate, especially in certain populations. And even when you think about athletes, for example, their BMIs may be higher than the rest of us, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're overweight or obese. It's sort of a marker that we use in clinical settings. We use other measures for body fat, such as waist circumference as well. And combined with the BMI index, we get a more accurate picture. But for now, just to sort of simplify it for folks to know where can I go to get a good idea of where I am, or at least some idea, that's sort of the first place to start. Yeah, I mean, it is the easiest. Like if you're concerned, if if our listeners are concerned, it's a pretty easy way of, of determining, you know, where you're at. But, you know, to say that some people are bigger boned than others or carry more muscle mass or or whatever is actually a truth as well. So it, it may be that you have a high BMI, but you aren't necessarily unhealthy and you may actually not be overweight for your height. Right. And that's a really good point to bring up for our listeners. And I'm not sure how deep your listeners want to get into that, but definitely it's a starting point, like you said, Jamie. But of course, there are other measures that you have to take as well. It's personal to me. I don't know if you know, Samara, but I used to be obese. So at six feet tall, I used to weigh 242. So for me, I get a little bit sensitive about it because I've always carried extra weight, but it means different things to different people. But let's move on. Before we talk about the research, I'd like to sort of take a step back and learn a bit more about peanuts. Like you've been on the show talking about them before, but let's get a, forgive this pun, a grounding on the nutritional makeup and health benefits that peanuts can deliver. Sure. So peanuts are an interesting food because they're considered to be both a nut and a legume. So Mm -hmm. legume like a bean, like your chickpeas, and then a nut like other nuts uh, that you may eat, almonds, walnuts, etc. And for peanuts, though, this unique composition is what allows it to be a good source of high-quality plant-based protein. Mm -hmm. Peanuts also contain heart-healthy fats, 19 vitamins and minerals, and also a host of antioxidants that help to keep our bodies functioning optimally. Now, here's the thing. Eating peanuts regularly is associated with reduced risk for many of the diseases that are associated with obesity, such as heart disease, diabetes, cancer, even Alzheimer's disease and early death. And I think one of the the really interesting points or good points to note is that peanuts are also economical. So especially right now when the price of food has gone up, they're also a nutritious option that can help reduce risk of chronic diseases that will help to combat obesity. Yeah, that is important because, you know, everybody needs protein to exist and, to, you know, to build muscle and, and keep your brain functioning. But if you go to the grocery store, it's, it's among typically among the most expensive of the items that you're going to buy. So that's good to know. Why don't we move forward into the study? So can you explain the recent study from the University of South Australia and what it found? 
like you said, this study was conducted in Australia, yep. and it included two groups of Australian adults who were at moderate to high risk for type 2 diabetes. And the researchers separated them into two groups. One was a peanut-enriched group, so they consumed a total of 70 grams or about two and a half handfuls of peanuts each day. And they did that 30 minutes, half of that 30 minutes before a couple meals each day. And then the second group uh, consumed no nuts, no peanuts whatsoever. Both groups received weight loss education. And after six months, what the researchers found was that both groups lost a similar amount of weight, even though the peanut group was consuming an extra 400 calories a day from the peanuts in their diet. And in addition to this, the peanut group actually lost 14.78 pounds. The control group lost 14.52 pounds. Not a statistically significant difference. And that was also interesting because both groups also saw improvements in their blood sugar control. And then here's the other thing. In addition to losing weight, the peanut group also had lower blood pressure than the control group. And that was lower. Their systolic blood pressure was lowered by about five points which is associated with a 10% reduction in risk for major cardiovascular disease. So amazing stuff coming from that research there. We're really excited about it. Yeah, so I, I just want to understand this a bit better. So what you're saying is the only difference between the two groups is that one was having 400 extra calories via the peanuts. Otherwise, they were eating the same amount of food. And so that those results are pretty interesting then, right? Yeah, very interesting. And, and in research, we know that one of the key indicators of, of the strength of a study is when we do what's called a randomized controlled trial, right. exactly where some of those effects are coming from. So like you said, both groups were having similar dietary patterns. The only difference is that the other group was eating the peanuts, an extra 400 calories a day. So we do have some great confidence that a lot of the benefits we saw were coming from the peanuts. Does the study help edify how this happened, how somebody could eat more but yet lose the same amount of weight? Yeah, sure. So we've seen some markers of this in previous studies. So for example, we know that the fiber in peanuts help with satiety, so you feel fuller longer. And peanuts also help to decrease our appetite-stimulating hormones so that you feel less hungry. But there are two additional points that are relevant for this study. And those are that, number one, peanuts increase the energy that your body burns just by being at rest by about 11%. So in other words, your body tends to burn more calories in general when you eat peanuts. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't exercise. Of course, we should exercise. But it does help when we can eat foods that kind of boost that for us. Also, we know that up to 20% of the calories that are in peanuts are actually not used by our bodies. So you're actually absorbing less calories than you may think. So we believe that all of these factors combined contribute to peanuts' ability to help us maintain a healthy weight, and that's what we saw in this study. Can I ask you a bit about what you just said? So you're saying that the body doesn't absorb 20% of the calories that come from peanuts. Like, how does that work? Yeah, like, so that actually comes from the fats, the good fats that are in peanuts. Most of that is absorbed, and then you also have some bulk, some fiber as well. Okay. That tends to sort of go through your digestive system. Right. And then we also know that when we chew peanuts, we insufficiently chew them. So right. a lot of that is not getting digested, so about 20% of those calories actually just go right through us. Okay, so like there's an opportunity for me to be very crass and purient. I'm actually 
for the benefit of all the listeners, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to move on to the next question, which is uh, the people think about peanuts as sort of being, you know, not great for you because of the fat content. Or that's a bit of a myth, though, right? Yeah, that is a bit of a myth because yes. Peanuts do contain fats, but remember these are the healthy fats, and these are the fats that are good for our hearts, that are good for so many areas of our bodies. So we don't want to become too fat conscious where we just start avoiding foods that are nutrient dense. Yes, peanuts do have calories, but the calories that you're getting, I mean, those calories are packed with nutrients that can help your body. So I don't think that that's something that we need to necessarily be afraid of. Again, we want to think about the fact that when we eat whole foods, our bodies really recognize them a little bit differently than processed foods. So when we eat those whole foods, our body is able to use those nutrients a lot better and to help support us with the health goals that we do have. And I think when we think about the protection from many of the chronic diseases that so many of us are plagued with, I think the fat really sort of goes down on that scale there in terms of what we should be eating. And then again, looking at the results of this study, we see that it's really not something to be too concerned about. Well, you know, in fact, our bodies need good fats in order to promote brain growth and muscle growth. Like we store the excess calories by way of fat, right? And that's what people don't want. But we actually yeah. do need to consume fat in order to exist and to be thinking sentient beings. That's actually right. crucial to our brain health. Right. And it's the reason it's an essential nutrient. It's a macronutrient. It is. We actually need it to survive. As you said, the issue is eating too much. And I'll just mention this. Eating too much of anything is not a good thing, right? True. Or consuming too much of anything. You can drink too much water and be in danger of poor health, even though water is a good thing and, by the way, has zero calories. So the same thing is true with all of the foods that we eat. My biggest goal is to just eat more of the foods that are great for me, the foods that are nutritious, and sort of fill my plate with those. Of course, not overeating, but making sure that I'm getting the nutrients that I need. Okay, so a moment ago you spoke about processed versus unprocessed foods, eating whole foods. How should our listeners consider the difference between peanuts and a more processed form of peanuts, which something like peanut butter? Are the health benefits the same? Right, you know, that's an interesting question because with peanut butter, it's actually not considered, it's sort of considered a minimally processed right. food. And the reason that is, is because it's really, you can literally make peanut butter in your home, right? Yep. You can ground peanuts. And in the United States, peanut butter is 90%, at least 90% peanuts. And we know that. So peanut butter that we typically get in the grocery stores are at least 90% peanuts. And so a lot of the benefits that we do get from eating peanuts, we also get them from eating peanut butter. Of course, there are choices that we all have to make. Some may choose to get peanut butter that doesn't have any sugar in it. Some may choose to get peanut butter that doesn't have any salt in it. But by and large, it's good to just sort of note that Sometimes there's just sort of a little bit of those palatable nutrients in there or those palatable compounds in there to kind of help us eat the good stuff. And I'll say that from the research, what we find is that peanut butter, just peanut butter in general, helps to reduce risk of uh, diabetes as well as heart disease. And we do know that peanut butter contains the compounds that help with satiety and then consequently helping with weight management as well. So you do get a lot of the same benefits from peanut butter. Good. 
All right. So we talked about the study. Can you help our listeners understand how it would impact them and their daily lives as opposed to, you know, just reading a study about, you know, losing the same amount of weight but having 400 calories more? How does that impact us in reality? Sure. Well, we all want to be healthy and live a good quality life, right? At the end of the day, that's something that intrinsically we all want, a good quality life. Yep. But For many of us, it's challenging to make the right decisions in terms of what we eat. The common barriers we face, money, for example, healthy food is too expensive. I'll say number one barrier we face is taste because a lot of times, you know, our minds are sort of wrapped to think that healthy food doesn't necessarily taste good. And a lot of that sometimes is true, right? And then time, sometimes we're just too busy. I think what these findings from the study, what they do is that they offer sort of a glimmer of hope because it shows us that small changes in our lives and in our diets can really make a big difference to our health. Not only are peanuts economical, but they're also nutrient-dense, they're also tasty, and they're also an easy snack that we can all include daily. And I think the study really just shows that a handful a day, just a small amount a day, can actually help with your weight loss goal, even if you're limited in the other changes that you can make. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks again for having me. That was Dr. Samara Sterling. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss nutritional psychiatry on The Tonic. Suffering with pain or arthritis? Having trouble sleeping due to stress and anxiety? Understand the benefits of medical cannabis science. Optican CB4 relief soft gels are formulated with patented Bezosor pharmaceutical technology and are clinically proven to deliver four and a half times more CBD into your bloodstream three times faster than conventional CBD capsules. That's reliable relief in a nutshell and in an Optican soft gel. Talk to your doctor or pharmacist and sign up at OptiCan2Ns.ca. If you're looking for premium natural products, choose New Roots Herbal, proudly Canadian and family-owned for over 35 years. What really sets them apart is their dedication to quality. They source only the highest quality ingredients and test each one in a state-of-the-art ISO-accredited lab. You get the purity and potency you expect. Available exclusively at fine health food stores. To learn more or find a store near you, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. David Nelson is a fellow at Invivo Planetary Health, a part of the Nova Institute for Health of People, Places, and Planet, located in Baltimore, Maryland. David attended the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine, is a health food retail and wellness service business owner. He's written numerous academic articles and currently has one in preprint, or actually it's in print now, establishing the importance of acid alkaline balance in the foods that we eat. And he lives in Woodstock with his family. Welcome back to the show, David. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad, Jamie. Good to be back on again. Yeah. So last time you were on the show, you threw out a term, cavalierly, I might add, (laughs) that we have to get into. And you promised us that the next time you're on, we were going to talk about, and I've never heard of it before. So here we go. Nutritional psychiatry. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good. All right. So let's start. We're going to start a little bit sort of murkily. How does food affect mood or, you know, how does our diet changes the way we feel about ourselves or others? Yeah, that's a great question, actually, to set it up. So, you know, 
we all know, I think, that we've eaten certain types of food and they might make us feel good initially for 30 minutes and then maybe two hours later we get like a sugar low. Yeah. It turns out that ultra-processed foods can change the way that our body reacts to the environment. So it changes the way that the immune system reacts, the way that the inflammatory system reacts. And food, then when food goes into our gut, there is something called the gut-brain axis, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, which is involved in this idea when you put ultra-processed food or bad food or inflammatory foods into your gut. It actually can change the way you feel about yourself. It can change the emotional nature of your thinking and your responses and uh, can actually lead to not only disease, which is just a state of being, you know, not just right, to disease where you actually have a quantifiable mental health diagnosis. Is it as simple as oh my gosh, my stomach's off and it's gurgling and it hurts and therefore it puts me in a bad mood? Or is it something deeper than that? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I think it's actually both. The first thing, you know, your stomach's off, you have a little gas and bloating. That's going to make you just feel a little bit unwell, right? Maybe your pants don't fit as well. Maybe you just feel a little, a little off. Maybe you have a tiny bit of a headache or a little bit of brain fog. So those are like the external sensory things that we're experiencing. What's going on internally is really interesting, and science is really gaining a lot of traction. When you eat that bad meal, let's just say you go to a fast food outlet and you get the shake, the fries, and the hamburger or something, or, you know, whatever. I'll be really stereotypical here. Mm -hmm. What happens when that food hits your gut is right away there's an inflammatory process and reaction from the gut microbiome and the way that they're able to produce metabolites. So you actually increase the threat system in the body, and so you spin up inflammation and the immune system each and every time you have a bad meal. I just want to make that super clear. So when you're asking about, you know, what's actually happening, you're going to feel those things, but there's going to be some things you don't feel, but you're just going to feel, you're going to feel a little bit more, maybe short-tempered. Maybe your cravings are going to go up, and you're going to want more and more and more sugar. These things all seem to happen, and then we get depressed or anxious. And that's where I really want to focus here is just on depression and anxiety in the context of mental health and food and mood and where the science is going. It's actually really interesting. So historically, if you you have anxiety or mood issues, they're treated medicinally, right? I mean, or or, maybe therapeutically, you know, through talking it out. But I guess nutritional psychiatry proposes a different mode. Well, you're right. And thanks for bringing that up because that's exactly right. You know, normally in the normal scheme of things right now, if you have a D, what's called the DSM-5 diagnosis, which a lot of the mental health disorders are in and you click off all the algorithms and it's like, okay, now you have depression. So mild depression, moderate depression, anxiety. And what does conventional medicine have for you but pharmaceutical drugs? So we'll just, for example, go to depression because it's kind of interesting. You're going to be given a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. But what's interesting about that is it doesn't actually address the underlying inflammation that we now know coexists with depression. So then that underlying inflammation, is the drug just going to treat that? Not really. So we're gaining a lot of insight into what depression is. It's not a linear lack of just serotonin. It's actually intersecting lines of bad food, inflammation, immune system activation, a lack of sleep, and an erosion of your sense of self too. So all of those things play a role of which one pharmaceutical drug isn't going to be able to fix. Now, talk therapy is important. You do need to talk about your problems. 
but there has to be other strategies for mental health because we have a mental health catastrophe and all the drugs in the world don't seem to be fixing it. I'm going to throw something at you. Do you know that there's actually no clinical proof that lower serotonin levels impact your, your mental health? Did you know that? I, I did know that. And, and there, so there are a couple trials, but the percentages are so small. And then when they do SSRI research, they find they're no better than placebo. I think that was 2016, 2017. Yep. The big meta-analysis that came out last week, Jamie, which blew my mind to see in print, was that depression may not be even mediated by serotonin. Exactly. Yeah, no, I read the same study. Yeah, That's yeah, why I absolutely. raised it. Absolutely, yeah. So there is some creeping evidence here to show that maybe the way we've been approaching this has been all wrong in the first place. And then, if you don't mind me doing the introduction, in walks Felice Jacka in 2005. She's an Australian researcher who started something called the Good Food, Good Mood Institute, and she's basically the person that put nutritional psychiatry on the map, and she has a book called Brain Changer, which is phenomenal. So I can give you a little bit of data that they found if you're interested. Sure. Let's do it. Yeah. So, for example, they had 7,000 teens in Australia that were in between the ages of 10 and 14. The lower the consumption of healthy foods, the higher their depression scores. That's a good example. There's another one. There was a SMILES trial that ended in 2017, and this one's amazing. They took people with major depressive disorder and they gave them just interventional diets. So they just had clean eating. And you can look this one up. Any, any of your listeners can look this up. For the first time ever, they had remission of major depressive disorder in one-third of the people in the trial Wow! that didn't have to go back on meds or anything else. And they were so enthused. And this is phenomenal. And now we look at what happened with the other two-thirds. Well, that we need to figure some of those things out. But it's very clear that diet definitely affects depression and affects inflammation, and they're definitely linked. All right, so if we're saying that the diet and nutrition are linked to mental health, and you've mm -hmm. thrown out the phrase good diet and bad diet, can you elaborate on what a good diet looks like and what a bad diet looks like, just so people can understand it contextually? Absolutely. So when we talked before, you know, I think it was the last one or the one before that that we did, we talked about the Nova food classifications. Yep. So it gives you a good example of what ultra processed food is and what isn't. Yep. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna make it really simple. You know, if it comes out of a bag box can or, or, or a container or something like that, it's probably something that, you know, we wanna think about constructively. Is that ultra processed food? Is it way beyond the original food that yep. you're looking at and eating? Is there a lot of additives? Is there a lot of like things like emulsifiers in there, which end up being dysbiosis agents, which stir up the gut and increase inflammation? A good diet is what I call, or what Sean Cruxton called, I think he came up with it originally, the JERF diet, J-E-R-F, just eat real food. <laughs> So you want to take as many steps. You want to take the least amount of steps from the garden to plate as possible. So if that tomato doesn't really even resemble a tomato anymore, it's likely ultra-processed food. But you can make a tomato sauce, and it basically resembles the tomato. But you don't want to eat things that are like have red food coloring because it looks like a tomato and is trying to you know sell you something that you shouldn't be eating. Okay. So if people are concerned, maybe they're feeling a bit blue 
and they mm-hmm. want and they want to try you know changing their diet maybe they're eating too much processed or hyper processed foods yeah. what would you recommend to somebody who wants to improve their mood through diet yeah so it's a great question and uh, lots of information on this online and it is the mediterranean diet okay so when you look at the MIND diet, M-I-N-D, so that's for dementia and stuff, it's a very Mediterranean-like approach. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the trials ongoing are with the Mediterranean diet. Now, what is the Mediterranean diet? It varies from region to region in the Mediterranean area, but it is a whole foods-based diet that's focused on fresh fruits and vegetables. It has whole grains. There's a little bit of dairy in there, and people um, tend to eat more simple foods, which are simply prepared with really good, high-quality ingredients, and they're close to the garden. It doesn't mean that they don't eat some processed food in the Mediterranean region. It's just they have olive oil and fish a little bit more often, resveratrol, some red wine, but not a lot of alcohol consumption. It's more about the process of eating it with the food as opposed to getting intoxicated. So it's a different way of living, but they have a high exposure to fresh fruits and vegetables, whole grains, olive oils, and fish and omega-3s. Okay, we have time for one last area, and that is if people wanted to do a little bit more research into this notion, because really it's hard to sort of get the idea across in in about 10 or 11 minutes. Are there any books that you would recommend for them to read? Great question. So I think everyone should start with Brain Changer by Felice Jacka. And I'm going to spell that. Uh, Her last name or her first and last name are spelled F-E-L-I-C-E-J-A-C-K-A. And I would actually start there, and then once you start there, you can springboard from that. But that is the best, most recent book, and it was published in 2019. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, you're very welcome, Jamie. I always love coming on because you always like doing this kind of stuff and getting really good cutting-edge stuff to your listeners. Well, we appreciate you making it understandable for us. Thank you. That was David Nelson. For more discussions and articles about health and wellness, be sure to visit thetonic.ca. We have to take a short break, but when we come back, we'll discuss summertime self-care on The Tonic. I'd like to give a shout-out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian-owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000-square-foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Andriana Gonko is a lifestyle expert, educator, and podcast host. Her mission is to show busy parents how to overcome burnout and enjoy the juggle of work and family by creating a more balanced and intentional life. She's the creator behind 30 Days for Me, a guide to support working parents 
in developing self-care habits into daily life, and the workshop From Burnout to Better Balance, which is an inside-out approach focused on personal and professional workplace wellness. She lives in Sudbury, Ontario with her husband, Ryan, and sons, Benjamin, Ashton, and Zachary. Welcome to the show. How are you? Hi, Jamie. Thanks so much for having me. I'm doing really well. Thanks. So summertime, you know, I've been a Toronto boy my entire life and, you know, the rhythm of life in Toronto and I think in Ontario is summer is a time that we kind of slow things down a bit. And I think it's a pretty good time to start thinking about ourselves. We just have a little, you know, there's less interesting TV on, there's no school, there's no this, there's no that. So it's a time to think about ourselves. Would you agree? I think that you're right there. I think that that is definitely the sort of consensus among people, especially in Ontario, but I'm sure in many locations. I live in northern Ontario, and we are right in cottage country. So that easy, breezy feeling, I think we can all resonate with. But sometimes we can take it for granted, I feel, because along with all of the fun summer stuff, we still often have uh, a pretty long to-do list and a lot of those regular daily tasks that we have to complete as well. For sure. So you want to talk about self-care today, try to find that balance. And that makes sense to me. But I think to help explain it to our listeners who may not understand the concept, how would you define self-care? I think that's a really good question. And I think it's sort of this lofty term. It's sort of one of those buzzwords that's trending right now of, of you know, self-care Sunday or whatever the hashtag is. But the World Health Organization defines self-care, and I will quote this, as the ability of individuals, families, and communities to promote health, prevent disease, maintain health, and cope with illness and disability with or without the support of healthcare providers. So that is whose definition. For me, when I think of self-care, I look at it as this ongoing journey, this ever-evolving practice of loving myself and putting myself first. So it means making myself a priority, acknowledging, validating my needs, and making sure that I feel good both physically and mentally so that I can be the best version of myself. And then from there, I can serve those who are around me, right? My, my children, my spouse, family members, colleagues, the list goes on. That's what self-care is to me. That makes sense. So why is it so important to your daily routine to sort of consider self-care, especially at this time of year? Well, I mean, goodness, I really feel that self-care is important year-round, daily, whether it's something very, very small or, you know, it can build and it can be more complex. But daily self-care has really been helpful for me since experiencing burnout in 2018. So, Jamie, I have three young children, three boys. They are busy, they're active, they keep me on my toes. You know, I have a a full-time job, I'm teaching, I'm managing a business from home. I have a lot on the go, and I can often forget about myself in the process. So incorporating a self-care practice is sort of that backup, that thing I can rely on, that element in my life that is constant and steady that sort of brings me back to that better balanced state. So that, again, you know, the to-do list gets done, but I'm not feeling exhausted, overwhelmed, and just resentful of all that I have on my plate. Okay. So for you, what's sort of the grounding for self-care? Like, what is the basis for it, like, from a theoretical perspective? Yeah, it's evolving, and it's changing, and it's different for everyone, and, and it's unique. And I think that's the beauty of it. But 
the more that I, I looked into it, the more that I've explored this for myself and for the people that I'm serving, I've kind of broken it down into five pillars of well-being. Mm-hmm. And within these five pillars, I just it, it's just that helpful reminder that allows me to sort of fit different elements in throughout the day. So I look to nurture, to nourish, move, grow, and discard. Could you want to elaborate on those a little bit? Yeah, I would love to. I would love to. So to nurture really means to really just do something for you, just you, Jamie. So it's not because you saw it on TikTok. It's not because your friend told you. It's not because you feel that you should be doing something. It's simply to spark joy and to feel good. So, you know, it can be something as easy as for me, I like to do like an at-home manicure. It can be picking up, you know, a juicy summer read that has no real educational value or, you know, nothing that, that would be helping you in your career or, or otherwise. Something that is just for you and, you know, self-care synonymous with bubble baths, it can totally be that. Just something that is for you, to nurture you and to make you feel good. Mm-hmm. When we look to nourish... Of course, that has to do with the foods that we're putting in our body, how we're nourishing our bodies. And and this is going to be a little bit of a shift. And so when we think of nourish from a self-care standpoint, we're not thinking about dieting or restricting or counting calories or, you know, whatever the latest diet fad is. We're focusing on the foods that are going to, again, make us feel good. So I like to try to incorporate all of the colors in the rainbow in my diet. It can be, you know, looking to fuel your body when you wake up by, you know, making nutritious smoothies. You know, it's those small little elements that you come back to and you realize, you know, this is making my body feel good. This is energizing me. This is helping me lead, you know, a more balanced life. So when we think of nourish, we want to really just look at those elements that are feeding our body. Okay. So for example, like if, if I love ice cream, if ice cream makes me happy, that's not necessarily nourishing, right? So I don't know, does that fall into the nurture part? Like, does that make me feel better? Or is it outside your pillars? I think that's great. And, and I think we can be playful with it. You know, I'm not saying that, you know, there are five pillars and they can't bleed into one another. Of course, you know, having, you know, perhaps it's watching a great movie and you have that bowl of ice cream or popcorn. Sure. And you know what? In the moment, it is going to be both nourishing to your body and your soul. It's going to make you feel, you know, like you're happy and you're enjoying yourself and, and you're, you're feeling great. You know, maybe not ice cream at every meal, but that doesn't really fall into self-care for me. You know, the, the, you. the diet that you have every day for every meal, we're just thinking about doing things that are helping you to better serve those around you and making you feel great inside. So sure, go for the ice cream. I was just at a chip stand in Sturgeon Falls, Ontario. You better believe that I got the homemade pogo and we had fries and the whole nine yards and it was incredible. In the same trip, we also stopped at a farmer's market and we got lots of fresh produce from, you know, Ontario farmers, freshly picked strawberries. And, you know, both, in my opinion, are nourishing for me. Yeah, I get that. One of the pillars I think you mentioned was movement. Is that right? Yes, to move is certainly a pillar of self-care. And I think we we all have had and and have experienced movement in a way that has really lit us up. It has made us feel absolutely great to be in our bodies. And this is how we think of it from a self-care standpoint. 
So again, there's a bit of a shift. We're not looking to, you know, go hard or the no pain, no gain mentality or just slaving away on a treadmill unless that lights you up, Jamie. I know that, you know, you enjoy running and walking, but what are those elements of movement that are going to help you? I personally am a huge proponent of yoga. It is something that helps me in so many ways. It can be dancing, you know, putting on your favorite song and just letting loose. It can be getting out into nature. This is summer. You know, there is nature all around us, visiting a park, finding a new trail, going for a hike. And so just shifting our perspective of not the exercise regimen that is going to help us fit into that bikini, but the ways that we can move our body that really feed us and make us feel great physically. Mm-hmm. And I believe that the next pillar on your list was growth. And yes. do you mean that like sort of like intellectual growth, emotional growth? What do you mean by that? I think that it can mean what would be helpful for you. So new ways of thinking, new ways of being, being open to ideas. So, you know, perhaps it's looking into that coach that you've been following on Instagram. Perhaps it is picking up, you know, some sort of personal or professional development course or program I love to journal. I love to meditate. And some of these, you know, self-care practices that are synonymous fit into this growth category. So just what are some new ways of being that you can experience over the summer? You know, we've been through a lot. We're coming out of this pandemic. We've been forced to, you know, adhere to all sorts of change that's around us. So maybe we can give our mind a rest over the summer. Maybe we can incorporate some practices that will just give our our mind and our soul a bit of a break. So that's what I mean when I say grow. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does. And the last pillar is discarding. What should people remove from their lives as a form of self-care? What does that mean? Yes, to discard really means to let go. And this, again, will look different for everyone. But, you know, like you said, sometimes getting rid of something can be the best way to care for yourself. So are there old ways of thinking or non-productive activities, perhaps bad habits that you can just put on the table for the summer or, you know, let go of for a short amount of time? So it can be with me. I have three young boys. We will be reducing screen time. We have been reducing screen time over the summer, which has been really great. We are looking at picking up other activities that replace those habits. Another example that really worked for me was not watching Netflix late at night. It was something that, you know, wasn't really serving me in the end. You know, binge watching a show until all hours of the night made me wake up feeling groggy, maybe a little bit grouchy, and it just wasn't serving me. So I decided to let go of that habit, and I set a boundary that, you know, by 9 o'clock at night, there's no more television, and that really has served me. Another example, you know, with our devices, with social media, maybe we can turn off notifications or set time limits for ourselves for how much we're actually scrolling. So what can we do over the summer to just let go and to remove something to better serve us? Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. That was Andriana Gonko. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss how we communicate feelings on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. 
Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Carrie Matze is a registered psychotherapist with over 20 years of experience working in mental health. After working at a non-for-profit mental health agency in York Region, Carrie and one of her colleagues, Serene, partnered together to form their own private practice called Journey to Freedom, working with children, youth, adults, and families. Carrie is passionate about helping others to achieve their goals and unlock their inner power. Welcome to the show, ma'am. How are you? I'm well, Jamie. Thank you. How are you? I think I'm doing okay. I'm a pretty stable and resilient person, but today we're going to talk about emotional resilience and maybe people will learn a little bit about what that means and whether they are emotionally resilient. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So I think we should start at the beginning, which is always a good place to start. How would you define emotional resilience? So resilience is really about one's ability to be able to cope and recover from life's challenges. I mean, it doesn't mean that someone who's resilient doesn't experience the same distress as other people. It just means that they've learned to use healthy tools to cope. Okay. So what are examples of of some of the hardships that people might go through that would require emotional resilience? So it could be a loss, maybe a loss through death, a loss of a job, the end of a marriage or an illness. Could be some of the challenges that people face in life. Could mm-hmm. be ongoing mental health challenges. Perfect. Or, or like first time on a radio talk show, something like Absolutely, that. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> That's right. Why is emotional resilience so important? Well, as most of us know, especially in the last few years with the pandemic, life is not a straight line, right? We're sometimes thrown curveballs that we never see coming. And so having resilience can really help us to move through some of these unexpected moments without getting stuck. Okay. And how would you distinguish emotional resilience from other forms of resiliency? So like I can think of physical resiliency or stamina, but this is sort of a mental and emotional aspect of that, right? Yeah. It's really about us being able to cope with difficult situations, emotionally cope with difficult situations by really being able to kind of face them, acknowledge and accept our emotions to be able to move through them. Okay, so what makes somebody resilient? Like, if I were resilient, how would it manifest? So, I would see you really kind of facing your emotions head on. So, really just allowing yourself to feel and accept your emotions. Maybe you would be showing yourself compassion and kindness when you have difficult emotions or you're facing a challenge. You wouldn't be judging them. You're really kind of just, you know, accepting your feelings versus judging your feelings. So let's say, you know, you weren't emotionally resilient or Mm -hmm. you struggled with emotional resilience. I may see you, 
you know, avoiding some of your feelings and maybe using substances or sex or shopping to avoid your emotions or maybe judging your emotions, saying things like, it's silly to feel this way or I shouldn't be feeling this way. You may try to use like logic or cheerleading to avoid the discomfort of the emotions, like, you know, saying it's not that big a deal or it could be worse. Okay. But are are those coping mechanisms that just sort of get us through the day though? Uh, they can be, they can be, but some of those avoidance coping strategies are unhealthy coping strategies. And what can happen is over time, when we rely on avoidance or we rely on cheerleading, right, to get us through, we find that can actually increase our mental health challenges. So it may increase symptoms of anxiety or depression because it's really just kind of getting us through in that moment. We're avoiding, we're not really facing it head on. Got it. Are some people more innately emotionally resilient? Are they just made that way? I think so. I think that environment can sometimes play a role. I think if you grow up in a home where, you know, people talk about emotions, where emotions are accepted and discussed and encouraged, you know, if if people grow up in a home where they're encouraged to express emotions, I absolutely believe that environment can, can play a role in helping people to become more resilient. Okay, so if that's true, then presumably it's something we can develop. Is that true? Can we become more emotionally resilient? Absolutely, absolutely. How do we do that? Okay, so one of the things that we often talk to our clients about is self-compassion. So I kind of talked a bit about it. You know, instead of judging, questioning, or criticizing your emotions, you know, we teach them to lean in with love, compassion, and understanding. Emotions are are biological and neurological, so they come whether we want them to or not. So instead of judging them, we teach our clients to understand and accept their reason for being. So one of, ways, one of the ways that we do that is through self-validation. Validating our feelings really helps us to understand and accept our feelings as they are, and it can be a really powerful tool in helping us to accept and move through our emotions. Okay, so what sort of emotions are we talking about? Like sometimes I get melancholy. And, you know, we have a way of describing it in our house, like everything is bad, nothing is good. And, you know, my worldview on those days is I I wouldn't say I catastrophize, but I'll tend to be negative. I'm definitely a glass half empty person. And so when I'm feeling these emotions, I can never really see the sunny side of any particular mm-hmm. circumstances. That's the type of thing we're looking at. So it's really about just kind of accepting and understanding, Jamie, why are you feeling melancholy? right? What's happening? What has happened in your day? What is happening in that moment Yeah, that is kind of making you feel that way? Understanding it, accepting it, right? As I said, emotions are biological, they're neurological. So even if you say to yourself, you know, cheer up, Jamie, there's so much to, you know, to be happy for and grateful for. The truth is in that moment, you're, you're not feeling that, right? Well, I would never do that, right? Because <laughs> yeah. that's, that's just a part of my emotional makeup is to be cheery yeah. like that. I, I'll tell you what my high water mark is. My high water mark is I can now recognize when I'm feeling those feelings so that I say to myself, okay, my perception of circumstances is skewed right now. I can't accept how I'm reacting to these situations as being perfectly logical or rational because I understand that I'm feeling emotional about X, Y, or Z. And that's about as good as I can do right now. 
And that's beautiful. Is it? Okay, good. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think you're understanding, you talk about reaction, and reaction is different, right? right? How we choose to respond to the behavior is a little different, right? Mm -hmm. What validating does is that it allows you, so let's say in those moments, let's say you come home from work and you're having a really bad day, you know, really taking the time to ground yourself, understand why you're feeling the way that you're feeling, like, you know, allowing yourself some compassion and acceptance may help you to move through your day differently, respond differently to your family. Okay, so how would that manifest, though? Like, so what, are we talking about self-affirmations, that sort of thing? So I, could, I can give you an example sure. of what it might sound like. So let's just say, you know, you were at work and, you know, your producer was really hard on you today and yeah. really riding you and, you know, you're just in this horrible mood and, You know, you would kind of, you know, before you, maybe as you're driving home or before you walk into the house, you're going to ground yourself, take a moment to really ground yourself, maybe by, you know, using, just taking some deep breaths, using a visualization, and then you may, you know, validate. So really understand, okay? So, you know, it makes sense that I'm feeling angry right now, or it makes sense that I'm feeling low right now. It makes sense that I'm feeling upset right now because... My producer was riding me today, you know, and because, you know, it's hard. It's hard having days like that at work and because I know I'm coming home to more work, right? So no wonder I'm feeling really angry right now or no wonder I'm not in the best headspace right now. It's really just kind of like understanding, understanding why I'm feeling this way, accepting it. I'm, I'm not trying to fight it. I'm not trying to make it better in that moment, Okay. And why does that help us though? Like, how does that help us be resilient? Because if we're not, if we can't overcome it in the moment, are we just rationalizing it? We're just moving through it. Okay. We're just allowing ourselves to move through it. That's what it is, right? It's okay. kind of like, yeah, like a roller coaster, right? <laughs> you I know, suppose. Like life. There's kind of ups and downs and these feelings don't last forever. I suppose that's true, right? I, I mean, like you, you could be going through something horrible and, you know, presuming you live through it, you can always look back on it, right? Like at some point you're going to be beyond it, right? So Absolutely. So it's really just kind of accepting, understanding, and allowing yourself to move through it. That's right. Okay. So beyond compassion and validation, what other tools or what other things can we do to help build resiliency? So acceptance, kind of like what I was talking about, right? Mm -hmm. So part of acceptance is recognizing what's in our control and and just really allowing ourselves to accept and release things that we can't control. Another is just helping to understand our triggers, right? So if we're going to be walking into situations that are very triggering for us, you know, recognizing what we need in those moments and giving ourselves permission to be vulnerable and ask others what we need can also really help us to build resilience and move through difficult situations. And, you know, being resilient doesn't mean that we have to face struggles alone. Sometimes asking for help from loved ones or professionals can also create a space to heal and move forward. Okay, so are, are we talking then about getting professional assistance or is this more like emotional support from our family and loved ones? It can be both. It can be both, right? It can be, you know, asking friends, you know, family, coworkers for support, letting them know what we need, right? Every emotion has a need. Anger needs space. So maybe it's about setting a boundary, right? Mm -hmm. Sadness needs comfort. Maybe it's about asking others for a listening ear. Makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Jamie. 
Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Samara Sterling, David Nelson, Andriana Gonko, and Kerry Matsai. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at It's The Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For great articles by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of The Tonic magazine. The July-August issue is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our new website, thetonic.ca. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at thetonic.ca. On our next show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Bussin wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.